it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 44. Andrew and I are going to continue our discussion on back to the basics with the stock market. And last week we talked a little bit about stocks, and today we're going to talk some more about stocks because, you know, that's our favorite thing to talk about besides that in baseball. And so <laughs> without any further ado, Andrew had something you wanted to say as we got started. Yeah, so obviously last week I had a big thing about you know how how shares kind of work and, and the whole premise behind the stock market behind why Wall Street's there, what the value is and and how it provides value for really the the whole world and how we can take part in that. I think the next thing that we should really cover is how that applies to Wall Street today. So obviously, Wall Street's very intimidating and it can seem like you, if you don't have a double mat, double MBA and in, in finance that that there's no way that you can really have a shot at understanding it and making it work for you. And that's so far from the truth. And, and everything we try to do with this podcast is is really to try to alleviate that. And especially with this this series that we've come up with here with going back to the basics, we're really hoping you can go from just the average person who might not know anything and, and really start to put some of the pieces together and use that momentum. And it can really take you in some far places. And so it's really exciting to be kind of a part of that. So with the whole discussion last week, uh, I talked about how a company issues shares and, and how they can use those share. You know, they can essentially it's called raise capital, and you hear this a lot in Silicon Valley and you know on Shark Tank and, and with private equity. It's it's really a, a place for companies to kind of incubate and, and get a jump start and go from e- either they'll go from nothing to something with a great idea or. There'll be a, a small business and, and they'll make that leap into into getting capital and, and using that to really have explosive growth, right? And then there there comes a point in time where the company transitions from being sort of a private equity kind of corporation to becoming a public corporation, which is really what we talk about. And, and that's the kind of investment that is going to be available for 99% of us because... 
you know, unless you have millions of dollars, you're an accredited investor or you got Mark Cuban on the phone to, to give you these private equity deals, you're going to have to have a lot of capital or and or a lot of connections to really get into the sort of deals that aren't on Wall Street. So what we're talking about are the companies that are on Wall Street, the ones that have gone public, They've the, when they go public and anybody can buy them, that's called an IPO, initial public offering. And so the way that shares, you know, we talked last week, it's shares are always going to be part ownership. That never changes. But the, the way that a company will use shares once, once they have like an IPO, it's going to be different depending on what stage of life the company's in. So last week I talked about how at the very beginning a company can issue shares and use that cash right in front to directly put it into the business and have explosive growth. What happens on Wall Street is that these corporations are a lot more matured. They won't necessarily use cash from from issuing shares towards the business. They may or they may not. And so that's some of the things that we want to describe today. And it can really help you get a good sense of when you turn on CNBC or, or you try to follow the things that are going on with the market, give you a good sense of, of what these kind of verby kind of things that these companies are doing. You start to hear about mergers, acquisitions, and what what's happening with the shares and what do those things mean. And so I think really to start with that clarification, we should talk about why basically how the market itself works and how these shares can be traded back and forth and how that's going to affect what goes on with the corporation both for the shareholders and for the business itself. So maybe Dave, you can start on how it affects shareholders. Yeah, exactly. So the easiest way to think about this is when you go online with your online broker, whether it's Ally Invest or whoever it is you're using, and you want to buy a share of Apple and you go on there and you see what the price is listed at and you buy it for $100, let's say, just to use an easy number. When you buy that share, you're buying it from somebody else. Somebody else owns that share and they have decided to sell it at $100. That's the price that they feel is a fair price to sell it to you for. So then you buy that share at $100. Now they may have bought it at $80 or they may have bought it at $120 depending on which way the market is going at that particular time and what the market feels like the stock price is being valued at. And so you may be getting it, you know, they may be making money on their trade or they may not. So you buy it at $100 and you hold on to it for, you know, five years. And then at the end of five years, you know, you decide you want to sell it for whatever reason. And at that point, you have to find somebody willing to buy it from you at whatever price it's selling at that you think is going to be a fair price. So let's say that it's risen to $200 a share. So now you've made $100 on that investment that you originally bought five years ago. So now you have to find somebody, you know, you don't personally have to, you don't have to go on the internet and like start searching through all the A's of people in the world to find somebody to do it. That's your broker's job. But that means that there's somebody else on the other side of that looking to buy that share from you. And they may think that $200 is a screaming deal and they'll snap it up or they may, you know, let's say that the market is is falling. Let's say that the there's been some bad news about Apple that's come out, you know, that well, you know, recently Steve Jobs passed away. 
and there was a lot of fear in in the market about what was going to happen to Apple because you know obviously he was you know the brain thrust behind the company. So if that if you're you know it's risen to two hundred dollars and then he passes away, it could start falling like a rock. And now you have to figure out: Am I going to be able to sell this above the hundred dollars that I bought? And it at, and you can't always get out. And that's one of the things that we talked a little bit about last week. And I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on that. So, you know, there's, there's a finite amount of people out there that are going to be willing to buy it from you at any particular point in time. And the trick, you know, with this is, you know, the, we talk a lot about, you know, timing the market and, you know, buying at the top or buying at the bottom and selling at the top. And those are all easy things to say. And it's much harder to do because you never know exactly what is going to be the top. You don't have a crystal ball. You can't guess. And in essence, you are guessing and you can think that it's the bottom or you can think that it's the top. But again, you always have to find somebody else on the other side of that trade that is going to be willing to buy it. Now, let's say that you know, I'm going to use Bitcoin, for example. Everybody and their brother is talking about this. I even had some of my employees at, at my job that, you know, have never spoken to me about finance ever, and I'm sure have never talked about it, and they're asking me about Bitcoin and what my thoughts are on it. So it's obviously become a thing. And let's say that, you know, I'm not sure what the exact price is as of today, but let's say that it starts to, let's say that it starts to fall. And, you know, the price starts to crater and it goes from, I'll just pick a number, 15,000 to 5,000. If you bought it at 15,000, it's not just so, so easy. You're like, oh, hey, I see it's going down. I'm going to get out of it. And it doesn't, it's not that easy because you have to find somebody on the other side that's willing to buy it to you at whatever point it is as it's falling. And, and Andrew has talked about this before, kind of like catching a falling knife. That's kind of what you're looking at because if it goes from 15,000 to 5,000, that's a huge jump and you're going to lose a lot of money because you thought, oh yeah, you know, it starts to go down and I can just sell it. It's not that easy because you have to find somebody that's willing to buy it at 12,000 because they think, oh, this is just, you know, this isn't something drastic. It's just, it's, you know, it's just going down a little bit, but it could go down a whole lot. And so that's where, you know, getting into a bubble can be so dangerous. And that's why, you know, speculation, when you're talking about that, I heard uh, one of my favorite guys, Meb Favor, talking about Bitcoin a couple of days ago, and he even used that word many times during his conversation about it. He kept talking about it as, as a speculation because, you know, there's so many other factors into it, which we're not going to go into today. But the point that I want to make is, is that when you, when you want to go buy something because you think it's undervalued, then you're finding somebody that thinks, oh my God, this is, you know, I've lost money in this. I got to get rid of it. Think of it as buying, buying a car. You think that the car is worth $10,000 and you go to a car dealership and they're selling it at 7000 because they think that it's a piece of junk, but you think it's the greatest thing ever. So you spend the $7,000 and in your mind, you just made $3,000 and they're thinking, sweet, I unloaded this thing and I didn't lose that much money. So that's really kind of how the stock market works. And as far as like buying and selling stocks, you know, there's always got to be somebody else on the other side of that trade that is willing to take that price on, whether it's selling it or whether it's buying it. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So from my understanding, uh, it's like a supply and demand thing, right? So if there are more yeah. sellers than buyers, yeah. It's going to push the price down. If there's more yep. buyers and sellers, then that's why you see the price go up. 
Exactly. And that's, I mean, perfect illustration of that is, is Bitcoin. You know, that, you know, as we're speaking, it's just, you know, it's skyrocketing because everybody want, does, they don't want to miss out. It's, you know, the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And that's what's driving the price up because there's so much demand for it. Cool. So now we kind of know how price moves and, and how these shares basically the exchanges are a place where people are buying and selling these shares and, and trading them. And so the prices are moving because of this activity. Now let me kind of bring that into the corporation side, because on one side where corporation may issue shares and it's a great way for them to, again, grow the business from a very beginning stage. What you'll actually see on wall street most of the time after the initial public offering, the IPO is you'll, you'll tend to see a lot of companies just keep those same shares outstanding, meaning they're not going to add or subtract shares. And I'm just talking in a very general sense. And then let me talk about the two different actions they take on top of that. So basically, if you have this pool of, of let's say 2 million shares and they did the IPO and, and so 10% went to fund manager Henry, you know, uh, fund manager Jerry over here bought bought up five percent shares. A couple of Joe Schmoes maybe bought like point two percent of all the shares, and so all the shares kind of get distributed. And on the IPO is where it, this price is set, and then from there, once all the shares are distributed, then we start to see the price go up and down depending on how the supply and demand is for those shares as time goes on, and so the business will kind of run and and they'll more organically or naturally have these business, these expenses, they'll have revenues and stuff coming in and they'll have earnings and, and they'll be trying to grow in with the goal of being able to post high performance numbers in order to create more demand for their stock. Once the demand for their stock goes up, the stock price goes up. Once the stock price goes up, then everybody's bonuses at the company, management, the CEO, all their stock options become more valuable. They can, it's just a a revolving thing. And and so good business results equals good share price and on and on and on. Now there's some things to keep in mind that businesses might do that affects how you hold your shares. And uh, there's this concept called dilution. So, there's two things a company can do with their shares. Basically, the reason why we care as investors is because our share, say we own one share, that represents part ownership of of the business. Now, if if they're going to issue out more shares, that means that the company is being broken into more and more pieces and you're owning less and less of the company. That's generally not good unless you get equal value to come out of that. So an example I'll give for that is Disney. And this is something that's very, very recent. Uh, Just as of two days ago, uh, when we're recording this. So as a full disclaimer, I own Disney. It is one of the dividend fortress positions in the Safer Research e-letter. The only reason I'm sharing that information is because it's already appreciated in price to the point where it's it's too expensive to be a buy at the, at these prices. So it was a good thing for myself and and the subscribers able to get in at a low price and have seen that price go up. So 
basically what's happened is that Disney is going to be buying Fox. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Now, when you buy a company, it's obviously, you have what's called a merger or an acquisition, and that's why you'll hear the things like M&A is, is talking about mergers and acquisitions. And it generally means the same thing like they might call something a merger but there's always one company buying the other um there's always going to be one company in control they might you know take on somebody else's name uh so it sounds like a merger right like the the bigger company might take the smaller company's name because their name is more well known but at the end of the day one company is buying the other and so there's two ways uh a company can buy another company and You'll really see this near the end of bull markets, and you'll start to see this when industries start to consolidate and mature. And and it's kind of, you know, as much as I love to talk about how fair and, and and how much opportunity there is in the stock market, there is also the dark side where the 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 rich get richer and the poor kind of get swallowed up. And that you do see that happen in industries, especially as they mature. Not to say that the poor ones all all necessarily die; they could get bought out and there's a lot of different situations and it's not all negative. But 
when one bigger company buys out a smaller company, they're going to either pay with it in cash or with stock. So the way Disney's buying Fox is they're going to buy with stock. What that means is that they're issuing new shares. And so the shares for Disney's owners now are all being diluted because you have this pool. I think they had like 1.5 billion shares and it's going up to 2 billion shares, something like that. So basically your one share that might have, let's say all the Disney shares, all the shareholders originally owned 100% of the business now because they're diluting 25%, whatever the Disney shareholder had, that was 100%, it's now 75% of the company. So the company's swallowing the smaller company. It's becoming, basically, you want it to become 25% larger because your share, your ownership stakes becoming 25% smaller. And so I, I, I sent an email out today to everybody on the daily list and, and it kind of talked about that more in depth. But the general concept is that if a company uses shares to dilute, basically to make an acquisition, make themselves bigger, you want the value, the, the, how much they're growing your, your current business. It needs to be more than the, than the value that your shareholders are losing. So if, if they had diluted 25%, you'd want to see revenue, you'd want to see earnings, and you would want to see either cash or assets being 25% or more because you lost 25% in dilution. And so what what we've seen what you'll tend to see with these acquisitions a lot of times is the share price might might kind of stay flat as as things kind of sort themselves out. And so the market capitalization grows and and it balloons because there's now more shares, but the share the the share price kind of stays constant because essentially it, it could have been more of a lateral move and and that's kind of what a lot of these things are and so at least when you're talking about buying a company with using an all stock transaction that's kind of what you that's what you're talking about and that's that's what you tend to see and that's what we've seen here with Disney now why does that all matter i you know i i talk about market capitalization that sounds like maybe a more advanced term to to kind of break that down it's just going to talk about what the market is valuing a stock at. So there's a couple different metrics. We talked last week about earnings. We talked about book value and we talked about cash, right? Now let's break it down a little bit further. I've spent this whole episode talking about shares. So let's talk about how shares lead into the different things and how as investors, you can use share data and combine it with some of the other metrics to make some, basically you want, you want to make some sort of evaluation on how a stock is doing, how the company, the underlying company behind the stock and how it is doing. So the first one I want to talk about is market capitalization. And so you look at a stock ticker, it's going to say, you know, go back to Dave's example of Apple. Uh, if it says a hundred dollars, is what Apple's trading at now. That's the price for one share. Now, Apple could have 500 million shares. They could have 2 billion shares. They could have 7 billion shares. The number of shares that the company has doesn't matter. What does matter is that you are, is that you know how many shares there are. And then from there, you can kind of calculate 
maybe what percentage of shares, what percentage ownership you have, or what you're going to want to know is how a company's market price is relating to their other metrics. So, for example, uh, market capitalization, the way to calculate that would be you would take the shares, how many shares that they have total, and you multiply it by what what the what the share price is is trading at at the time. And so, if, you know, if it's Apple, I think it's around $700 billion. What that means is the market price for Apple is $700 billion. It's what it's priced at now. And so now once you have that market capitalization number, you can combine that with the earnings number that we were talking about last week. So let's let's take another example. Say Apple's Apple's market cap is 700 billion, okay? Let's say earnings are at I don't know, 100 billion just just to make it simple. So that means for that's 7 billion dollars per 1 billion dollars of earnings, right? So think of it this way if you have a stock that is at 700 billion and they're earning 100 billion dollars versus um i'm sorry it, it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to keep up with this uh when i don't have it written down and, and we're trying to go audio so i'm trying to use very simple numbers here uh okay let's say let's say they're earning 7 billion right so you have a company earning 7 billion and a company earning 10 billion if they're both trading at 700 billion, then obviously you're going to want the company that's has 10 billion in earnings, right? Because it's it's earning more relative to what you're paying. You're paying to get a 700 billion dollar company. You're paying 700 billion to to own this company and they're earning 10 billion. That's better than I don't know, say like Microsoft, I don't know what their numbers are, but let's say if, if they're at $7 billion, then Apple's earning more. And it's all in relation to what the market price is. So we call that a price-to-earnings ratio, and we've actually done a whole episode on that, which you can look in the archives. The basic, most simple breakdown of that and, and way that you can maybe conceptualize and logically think about it is, is that these companies are going to have different sizes of how much earnings there are. They are. They're going to have different sizes of how many shares they're putting out, and they're going to be at different market prices and different market capitalizations. What's important to compare is not to look at a company like Apple, who's making, let's say, ten billion in earnings, and compare it with a company, a little small company like, you know, AMD or something, who's maybe making a billion dollars in earnings. You can't just say. Well, Apple's making ten billion, and AMD's making one billion, so Apple's better. That's not necessarily the case. You have to compare what the price of that company is in the market, and so that's how you're going to determine whether you're getting a good deal or not. And that's when we talk about margin of safety. There's there's a lot of different valuations you can use to make these comparisons to say, okay, well, this price. For how much earnings this company is giving me, this price is really good. Or like in an Amazon type deal, uh, this price is you know really expensive as a shareholder. I'm going to be paying a lot, and I'm not getting much in earnings compared to the rest of the market and the other opportunities that are out there. So you can use that, and you can use these these shares to make determinations and and 
kind of take the next step into going away from the stock price and learning about market capitalization. There's there's metrics called earnings per share, and um, that's a, a very widely used one, uh, especially on Wall Street and with analysts and things like that. And there's there's like book value per share. There's a, there's just a ton of different metrics that you can make that relate to a share. And the reason why those metrics are important is because you are essentially going to be able to look at, okay, this is the comparison of, so here's the, if I look at the ticker, this is how much I'm going to pay. And then if I compare that to, for example, earnings per share, this is how many earnings a company is making per shareholder per share. And and you can use that to gauge if a company is growing or if a company is declining. So for example, if, if a company is, again, keeping the same amount of shares, forget about the Disney thing. If they're keeping the same amount of shares and their earnings are growing, then you're going to see the earnings per share grow. And then as these sort of manipulations happen where um, stocks maybe do a second offering or they dilute the shares like what Disney's doing, uh, they're diluting the shares to make an acquisition if they're doing all, st- all stock acquisitions or if they're doing a stock buyback, which is the reverse of that, which I'm going to cover at the very end here. So basically all those different things might be like a whirlwind. It's like, oh, well, I, I can't decipher whether this company's growing or not. That's where metrics like earnings per share come in, book value per share comes in. And you can look at those trends and you'll see not only if the company is growing as far as like a total earnings number perspective, but also if it's growing in relation to how how much of a stake and how much part ownership you have. And so <laughs> maybe uh, a little more advanced than just simple earnings or even like price to earnings or price to book is, but it's definitely something that you'll hear about enough the longer you're in the market and it's something to consider because at the most basic level you have to remember what a share is what it means for you and how you can use that to navigate through wall street so that's that's kind of encapsulates what what shares are and how they really relate to what goes on in wall street today what goes on with the stock exchanges and how when you're buying a share that's what's happening like what Dave said, this is how you're able to buy a share. The broker's doing that for you. And this is kind of how it relates to the big picture and, and the grand scheme of things when it comes to these public corporations. And I talked about the Disney thing and how a company can dilute shares in that way. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the opposite side of that. And that is share repurchases. So what a company can do, and you'll see this happen a lot where... A company makes a profit, right? Now, the company can do several things with that profit. A company can either keep the profit as cash and just grow their cash reserves. That helps them in tough times and it just keeps like a nice healthy buffer, right? A company can reinvest it and and they'll call that on the financial statements, they'll call it things like capital expenditures. Um, think of you know spending on research and development, things like that. Or even just buying new equipment, buying more assets, and growing the business organically in that way. The lat, you know, the, the couple other things a company will do with profits is they'll pay a dividend. And so, 
I love dividends. You just listen to a couple episodes, you'll figure that out pretty quick. Um, it's a great way to attract shareholders and, and push the stock price in that way because it's essentially rewarding the shareholders for taking on this risk. And a company can also buy back shares. So where a company diluting their shares or adding to the shares outstanding and your ownership is shrinking, stock buybacks are the exact opposite. They are buying back shares and essentially removing them from the shares outstanding pool. And your ownership of the business is growing and getting bigger. So that's a good thing. And the the, the thing is it how you determine if it's good or bad depends on the situation. But in general, it's it sounds like a good thing, right? You're you're getting more ownership and it's better than nothing. Like you would prefer a company to have profits rather than not, obviously. But so what's what that what that's going to do is it's going to push earnings per share and the other per share metrics up without without any of the earnings or the book value or anything like that having to grow because you're shrinking the 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 per share and it's going to push that up and it's going to make a company look better on Wall Street. Um, it's going to push up the price a bit too because not only does it, it kind of positive reinforces the, uh, not only does it give this positive perception on Wall Street and it kind of creates some good momentum to go behind it, but they are, they are essentially acting as if, uh, a bunch of investors were to buy the company itself. So th- basically the market cap's going to stay the same. Uh, it's just going to move in the inverse to how many shares are being bought. So that's going to push your share price up right, right then and there. It's like a free return in a sense. Obviously a lot of good things. Um, there are some downsides to all of this. And what I would say with that is when a company dilutes shares, like taking the case of Disney, you have to evaluate if they're getting enough value back. If you know, if if you're gonna dilute your shares, but you're gonna buy a company that only grows you like three percent, that doesn't make sense, right? You're you're just wasting shareholder, and you're you're doing a disservice to your shareholders because you are diluting their shares and not giving them enough back in return. On the flip side, as an invest, uh, as a company, if they are buying back shares but their stock is already expensive that's also doing a disservice to the shareholders because what they're essentially doing is taking their cash and lighting it on fire whereas maybe the company would have been better just giving that as straight up a cash dividend to shareholders or they might have been better putting it back in the business but what you don't want is a company buying their own shares when their shares are already super super expensive because it's it, it it's wasteful. It, if if you were an investor, and I have a ton of positions like this where I bought the stock when it was cheap, it's not cheap anymore. So if I were to put new money, I probably wouldn't put it in the stock. It, it's a good problem to have because it means your stock's gone up in price and you've seen some nice gains from it. But you know, if if as an investor, I wouldn't be putting money into those stocks if I were to put new money somewhere. Well, then. It, what the company is doing by doing that and, and buying their own shares when they're already expensive is they're wasting money that should have either been growing their business or should have been given back to me so I can use it in a different opportunity. So that's kind of the the ups and downs and some of the things that you'll see with with how 
the shares work on Wall Street, how they work on the exchanges, and how that kind of all, this crazy storm that kind of all puts this, connect interconnects everything and, and puts investor money to work and, and creates prosperity and, and creates a strong economy and all of these different things. Those are kind of like the moving pieces and, and the little details here and there that you probably won't hear from 95% of the different resources that you have out there. So hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully you understand a little bit more about the pros and cons of, of the different ways that companies manipulate shares. And you have some tools that can equip you towards feeling like you can you can buy some shares and be be comfortable with that and understand what what do what do these shares mean? I mean, they used to be little pieces of paper, right? Uh, nowadays, it's just numbers on a computer screen. So now you can maybe understand that it's not just numbers, but it actually represents ownership of a business, and it's something you're taking part of, whether you're cognizant of it or not. And so it's understand it's important to understand that if you're a part of this, then this is what they're doing with those shares and doing with with the earnings and the profits and the capital. And that's what makes this thing move. And that's the oil and that's the fuel that really put, put, puts everything in place. And it's why that there's so much potential that you can make money in the market. So I know it's it's a bit confusing, but hopefully this is kind of like a blueprint to, to show you like this is how it works. Very well put. And I think those were all great points. And, you know, this continuing series that we're going to be doing, I think, will help illuminate some of these confusions that people might have about some of these basics of the stock market. Too often in our lives, we just kind of jump right into the quote unquote good stuff without learning the basics that can help you, you know, really advance what you're doing. You know, the basics are always the foundation of where you go. You know, whenever you learn how to you know, hit a baseball or throw a baseball or dribble a basketball. You have to start with just the basics of how to do it. And then as you get better, then eventually you become Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Maybe not all of us, but some of us, you know, can rise to that occasion. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation on Back to the Basics. And next week we'll continue with some more Back to the Basics. And we've got some great things planned for next week's episode as well. So without any further ado, you guys go out and find some great intrinsic value. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. And have a great week, and we will talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.